Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. We are starting a new series today um, for February called The Will of God. The Will of God. And what I've found is within our Christian faith and within our, uh, especially church culture, uh, the will of God can be really intimidating, really confusing, the idea of what the will of God could be. And I often find myself um, when people want to have like a, a talk or a meeting, advice, counsel, etc., people often get stuck around the idea of what is God's will for my life. And so this entire month, we're going to be really unpacking what the will of God is and, and really debunking what I believe are a lot of myths about God's will. Today specifically, though, um, we are going to be talking about bringing together what is scattered. At, we're going to talk specifically today about how I believe that part of the will of God is to bring together what has been scattered. Now, make no mistake, there is scripture where Jesus clearly says, I have not come to, uh, to unite, but to divide. Um, I've, I have come with a sword. And what he was talking about was how once you become a believer of the Christian faith, that you'll be rejected by the world, that you will be divided against one another because you'll believe in this one true God, while people will uh, not want to believe that, not, not want to follow their creator and, and so he talks very clearly about it being a, divide, uh, a dividing line becoming a Christian. But within our faith, we're going to talk about how God clearly wants to bring together what has been scattered. And I want to uh, start off by talking about the divisiveness of man. The divisiveness of man. And notice, ladies, I said of man, because it's always the man's fault that things get all turned up, right? Um, So be more clear of mankind, of the human race. But um, mankind is perpetually set to divide against one another. Mankind is perpetually set to divide against one another. And I really was thinking about uh, the state of our world, the state of our country um, within... uh, it's been almost perpetually dividing against itself, right? And especially like around election season, that's when it's always like most divided. Like 2020 was pretty ridiculous, right? And it, it was so divisive to where it wasn't even, oh, we can disagree about something and it's still okay. No, it was to the point where if you disagree with me, I'm going to delete you. We're never going to talk again. I never want to see you again. It was like clear divisions. And maybe there's some people that really like you should never talk to. But, <laughs> but what, what, I've, what I've been seeing so clearly is our human nature to divide. And what has happened, especially in our nation, but across the world, is that political uh, leaders have found this, this sense of individual superiority that we find within ourselves, and they have exploited that. And they have caused this, this, this division within our nature to grow even greater 
against one another to where in so many uh, areas in in our country, there's such a clear division to where it's not like uh, bloods and crips, it's Democrats and Republicans, right? It's like literally clearly divided and there's no middleman, there's no middle ground, there's no in-between. And it's it's not only just like a political candidate, but it's now been being incorporated in our values and in our, our moral standing to where now there's uh, now it's grown so much to where even the idea of uh, of race and superiority and equality has been uh, been like this dividing factor, and it, it's sickening. It's really sickening to me to where I can follow on both sides different like political pages from both sides, and while in one breath they will claim uh, we're so right, in that same breath they will condemn a race, an ethnicity. And it's like, dude, what the freak? <laughs> like, and I'm talking about both sides. And no way am I trying to project uh, this, I, this fake display like, we all need to get along, now here's a voting guide. No, not at all. What I'm getting at is that from, from our leaders down to us as common folk, there is divisiveness within our DNA. And it is ever-growing, and it's perpetual. And I'll go all the way back to Genesis to prove my point. From the moment that sin entered the world, think all the way back to Adam and Eve. They were a united power couple. He, she was God's, God's gift to man. They were, they were in love. The very first thing Adam and Eve did was have sex with each other. It says, and Adam looked at her, and again, they were naked. And then immediately after it said he he looked at her, it says, and this is why a man will leave his mother and father's home, because he'll be united with his wife. (laughs) And it just gives this whole display of them doing it. They were so united, so together, in the moment that they ate from the garden, the, the tree of good and evil, the one tree that they were not supposed to eat from, the moment they did that, you know what happened? They divided against each other. The, the, the man said it was her fault. See, right in that moment, it was throwing under the bus. The moment that they sinned, the very first reaction of sin was division. Y'all see that? And we see that division continue even in the very first offspring of mankind. Maybe you've heard the story of Cain and Abel. And the very first brothers, sons on the earth, one killed the other out out of this division, this divisiveness that entered mankind right at the beginning. Do you not see that display in all of the world's history? Killing one another, this sense of superiority. It's, It's... Within every single nation, every single people group, there's, there's mass murder, war, superiority. I, I personally cannot think of one country that has not come to power by taking the land and, and region from another people. I can't think of one single country in the entire world that hasn't taken it from someone else. 
divisiveness and superiority is in our DNA. I was just talking uh, to, to Jake this morning about how even within religion, just about every single religion has done mass murder of other people groups. A lot of times we think of like, oh, like Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda and terrorists. Did you know that in India, there's Hindu extremists that go around to villages and anyone that has paraphernalia uh, of like Christianity or anything other than the Hindu beliefs, they're killed, murdered. And hey, look, let's not leave out uh, uh, even our faith. Let's look all the way back to the Crusades. But that was all the the Roman Catholics fault, right? No, it, it is still this, this idea that we went around with the superior mentality, just like every other group, because it's within our DNA to divide and conquer. I will project though, this idea that early, early settle, settlers in America, do you know that the very first translation of the Bible was written in Cherokee? That there's, there's, uh, uh, Protestants early on it's not, I'm not saying everybody but early on this heart's desire to bring uh, indigenous people to know who Jesus was so I'm not trying to say it's all bad but a lot of it is really bad right talks about Adam and Eve Cain and Abel and even in the moment after the great flood the, the world was was increasingly wicked to the point where the great flood happened, right? And when it says wicked, it doesn't mean that they were just, you know, they watched too much TikTok, okay? It wasn't that they, they were just not being fulfilled in their lives. You're talking about child sacrifices, rape as a form of worship, some, some very wicked stuff that the world was doing that caused, a great, that caused this predicament of the great flood. And... Noah, who literally saved his own family from, because, of, because of his connection to God, his relationship to God, his pursuit of integrity and holiness, right after the flood, it said that he drank wine from the, the first fruits of the grapes and that he got drunk. And it says that that night Ham, his son, went in and saw him naked, and it, and it gives this display of like this shame to him. I can only imagine what it was like for Noah with the, the pressure of being the, the reset family father of the entire world. I mean, that's a lot, I have a lot of pressure just for my own kids. I could use a margarita every now and then. But for Noah, imagine the immense pressure in this moment that he has, uh, uh, gets drunk from wine uh, soon after he realizes that it's just them. The loneliness that you would, the unsettling that, would hap- that you would feel. And it says that in this moment, Ham went in, saw him, and saw to it as his shame. And he went and told his brothers to go make fun of his father. Again, divide and conquer. Superiority. And I'll go all the way to the moment of the Tower of Babel. The only moment that we see mankind united was in this construction of the Tower of Babel. But even with that, the whole purpose of the Tower was to increase superiority over every other city and group. To increase superiority over other people. And also to worship the stars. To 
bring back paganism, to go back on the path of child sacrifice. Again, the great flood like just happened. Okay, and let me read this story. It says in Genesis chapter 11, Now all the earth used the same language and the same words, and it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Then they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and fire them through thoroughly. And they used the bricks for stone, and they used for tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad for over the face of the earth. And now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they have started to do. And now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth. Of all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And therefore it was named Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the people of the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over all the face of the earth. Now, the first time I read this, I was kind of perplexed, like, what's your problem, God? Why would you want people to be scattered like that? Why wouldn't you want them to be united? What was the big deal about the Tower of Babel? And it wasn't until I got more in-depth in Scripture. See, a lot of times people think, well, uh, at first glance, that's the Word of God. You don't need to do gymnastics through the Word of God to prove anything. It's a very shallow way of thinking of Scripture. Deep, deep study of Scripture gives you further understanding of Scripture. And what, what you find out is, just like what I said, the tower was being built for a worship of stars. They're already pursuing paganism, all the the wicked forms of worship from before. And this is all just after God had flooded the earth and promised that he would not flood the earth again. And so this act of God confusing their language was actually God's mercy in efforts to stifle the wickedness of mankind. It was in efforts to stifle the divisiveness and sinfulness of mankind. Because like we see in history, it's one thing when we're just divisive individually. But when we group up in divisiveness, horrible things happen. (gasps) Kind of like politically right now. It's where people can be attacked by a whole mob of people because they have a different political belief within our own country. Every time that divisiveness and superiority is banded together, the destruction is so much greater. And so... This moment is God's mercy in efforts to stifleness, the perpetual divisiveness of man. Everything in our history shows a rhythm and cycle of divide and conquer, and someone always has to be the best or the blameless. So we constantly are bent on attacking and throwing one another under the bus. So now that we all have this idea of how divisive our DNA is, how we look for anything as people when it comes to differences within another to look at superiority. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Now let's go into our next point, which is the resetting unity of Christ. The resetting unity of Christ. This is one of my favorite parts of Scripture because it shows that God wants the church to be united. Now remember, 
God intentionally scattered mankind, right? Because of their increased divisiveness within one another. Now look what this scripture says. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 49, the, the, the high priests and the Pharisees were discussing it with one another of how they could kill Jesus and why. And it says, One of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor are you taking into account that it is in your best interest that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish instead. This is what they're saying of why they should kill Jesus because they were concluding that people were going to follow him instead of their teachings and that they were going to try to make him a physical king in Rome, thus causing the Roman cohort to start genociding uh, the Jews because of them trying to supplant the, the nation. It um, caused an insurrection within the nation. So he's saying it's better that Jesus die, and they're just using that as a baseline, uh, as an excuse, because they already wanted to kill them because they were jealous. You're using him as an excuse of, well, it's really for the greater good that he die. Now look what it says next. It says, Now he said he did not say this on his own, but as he was high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. See this moment where the beginning, the first book of the Bible, we see the scattering. And now in the New Testament, we see this gathering. That God literally formed a way to unite people in, a, in the right way. Being able to work past our sinfulness, he found a way to unite us. And it shows also here uh, that how God uses people that are in leadership positions or authority to even still do his, to, to share his work. I'm not a big advocate of a lot of preachers, um, uh, uh, main, mainstream big huge preachers. Sometimes they say some crazy things. Like last week we talked about that guy that spat in someone else's face as a demonstration. And that was crazy. But it shows that we don't even have to condemn people or these pastors or preachers because just because of their authority, they don't even realize that God will use them to say something at the right time for somebody. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. But moving on from this, this part, what we're seeing is most important, that even though we have been scattered because of this sinful, divisive DNA, and because of our inner ideas of superiority, God was, uh, wants to gather His children in unity. It shows His heart to throw off the things that have been used to segregate and exclude one another by covering us all in the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus, it resets our nature, our DNA, and even our identity through Him. Let me further expound on this by sharing some more scripture. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 through 12, it says, But the greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This, this, this simple thought is Jesus completely rejecting the idea of superiority. He, he's telling as leaders, people who are, who've done, uh, uh, do great things, says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. That our leaders 
are supposed to serve us, not us serve them. Look, look at what else it says. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What this verse is showing is that God's intention in heart is to give access to himself, access to your creator, the, the living God, regardless of gender, regardless of age, and regardless of past choices or even freedom. In these, in these times, most people that became servants, like it describes in this verse, is, be, is because they, uh, they took out extreme loans that they couldn't pay back, and the only way that they could return on the loan was by becoming servants. And that's why they would have the year of Jubilee to where uh, uh, it was um, to where everyone that had been bond servants were released from their debt and they would be able to return to their normal lives. So it was very common for people to become these bond servants because they knew that if they didn't pay, pay back in time, it wouldn't be forever. Within these amount of years, I'd be released. But all that uh, extra credit stuff aside, what we're seeing is this access to God regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of past choices, is giving such, a, such a, a blanket over all these different things that are used to divide in our world. Let me share some more. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28, For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. And there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is amazing. This is amazing because it's showing this unifying work by stripping all the things that we identify ourselves with. And saying, clothe yourselves with Christ, meaning uh, take off any professional robe that you have. People in those times were identified by the robes that they wore. And it says, you're now clothed in Christ, meaning that you are identified by Christ and Christ alone by his blood. And so in this verse, it strips away race. When it says neither Jew nor Gentile nor uh, Jew nor Greek, it's stripping away race and nationality. It strips away economic status. When it says whether you're uh, uh, enslaved or free. And it strips away even uh, traditions and in the idea that uh, even in the idea of in this time where women they're, they're, they weren't even allowed to give testimony in court because their cultural traditions put women just a little bit above of, of property and here scripture is saying no I'm not going to do it like that in the body of Christ is neither male nor female it's this the stripping of all the things that we have used to make ourselves feel superior. 
Why would men treat women like that? Feeling of superiority. See, Jesus' heart is seen so clearly in these verses. He wants to unite believers in Christ. In order for us to really be united, we have to strip off all of these ideas and identities that we have picked up that make us feel more superior in whatever way, shape, or form. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's a resetting through Christ. And so let's, let's look at our last point here. And this is one of my favorites. And that is breaking the mold of similarity. Breaking the mold of similarity. The differences within the body of Christ should be celebrated. The differences within the body of Christ should be celebrated. Let me read these verses to you. Starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, For the body is not one part, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has arranged the parts, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one part, where would the body be? But now there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are actually necessary. And those parts of the body which we consider less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our less presentable parts become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable parts have no need of it. But God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that uh, to that part which lacked, so that there are there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same care for one another. And if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If a part is honored, all parts will rejoice with it. the The Bible is showing this simile, this analogy of the body the human body being compared to the body of Christ. How each part of our body looks completely different than another part and has different functions than other parts. In the same way, so it is with us as people, individually. Do not mistake unity with similarity. Do not mistake unity with similarity because we are all different and have been made different. Our experiences and upbringings all make, par make up part of our testimony, which gives glory to Christ. We should not hide our differences, but instead we should celebrate them, no longer using them as ideas of superiority, but knowing that even though we are different, we are also all equal. I love the part where it's even saying, 
in the scripture that to parts of our body that seem like they have less honor, we give more honor. What it's talking about is like, say, like for our, our feet, for example. Unless you have a foot fetish, feet are kind of weird, right? <laughs> Everyone that actually has a foot fetish is like, yeah, right? No one really has that. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking, Terry. <laughs> but um, see, feet, they're, they're weird, right? They just look weird. They don't seem to have the same kind of glory as hands. I mean, I can't move my toes the way I can move my thumbs. And yet, even though they seem like they're less honorable, it's, uh, we put on uh, sandals or shoes to protect our feet, but not our hands. See, it's an example of how we take better care of the things that seem less honorable than, we th- than the things that we think are just honorable as their own. It's showing this display of, of how no part is lesser. No part is lesser. And what, a, what an incredible display of, of even servanthood. Because we give more honor to our hands, yet it is our hands that serve our feet by putting on the shoes. Do y'all see this, this, in a sense, this equality that our body is com, uh, compiled of that makes it work together as one body, even though each part is incredibly different? And we can uh, share more in the feedback questions on that. And so, uh, with all that with all that in mind, we are to be united, but it doesn't mean that we have to be similar. We don't all have to look the same. We don't all have to dress the same. We definitely don't all have to like the same kind of music. We we have differences, and they should be celebrated, not tolerated. They should be celebrated not conformed, not molded. You are unique. And it is high time for us as the body of Christ to celebrate our uniqueness, each individual uniqueness. God has called us to be united. He has called us to put away our sinful divisiveness. We need to stop looking at every little thing to divide against one another and instead we need to just let love cover a multitude of differences the bible says that love covers a multitude of sins how much more can love cover a multitude of differences y'all feel what i'm saying that being said i want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads and if you're here today and i want to start off i want to i'm going to project two ideas first If you're here and you are just realizing that you have not had a moment where you simply have put your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you were raised in church. Maybe you have never been to church. But you just have this tugging in your heart where you just know simply that you need Jesus in your life. You want to trust in him. I've talked all about how it's only through the blood of Jesus that we have this unifying work, this forgiveness for our sins. And if you've never had that moment where you put your trust in him and you want to today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So those of you who raise your hand, I want you to just have a moment where you connect with Jesus. Just there to yourself. Your own, uh, to yourself, I want you to just start talking to him. 
The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if, if you have an authentic, genuine heart that wants to know Jesus, all you have to do is talk to him and acknowledge this, this offer that he's made for you. The sacrifice on the cross, the resurrection of the dead, that he's the son of God. It says just talk to him and acknowledge what he's done, this extension of love. And surely you shall be saved. That's all it takes to start a relationship with him. That's all it takes to begin the journey. Now, no one's perfect, but this is a moment of changed direction. Before, we may have been walking away from God or trying to just simply avoid God. But now, in this moment, you're trying to walk towards him. This is where the journey begins. So just have your own conversation with him right there. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just be authentic and talk to him. Now, the other thing I wanted to project, if you're here and this idea of unity without similarity, this idea of God bringing together what has been scattered, maybe this idea is moving to your heart. Maybe the idea of divisiveness has not been overlooked by you and it's actually been troubling you and you want to just put your heart in the right place when it comes to unity in Christ if that's you uh, I, with every head still bowed and I close I want you to raise your hand amen amen God I pray right now for you send your Holy Spirit to cover us I plead the blood of Jesus over every single person here. Let us not see each other as superior over one another, but let us see each other as equals as we look to follow you, to know you, to worship you. And so I pray a unifying work in all of our hearts and that you would help us to see others the way that you see them, as loved and willing to die on the cross for I pray that you change our hearts to see people that way and that you help us to grow more and more into the image of Christ. We surrender to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. With that being said, in the same kind of atmosphere of reverence, uh, we're going to go into a time of worship. And before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part of Grape Top Online. We love you. Have a great rest of your, your Sunday. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.